You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Tuesday, March 6th, 2012. A woman was sailing a barge down Regent's Canal near Broadway Market, London. She stopped at Acton Lock. As the lock was filling with water, the side of the boat hit something. A suitcase. The suitcase suddenly popped open, revealing the contents inside. It was a female torso. The torso had a small tattoo of a bow on the lower back, and from this, and later using DNA from a toothbrush, they were able to identify the body. It was a woman who had been reported missing several days ago, 29-year-old Gemma McCluskey. Gemma McCluskey was born on the 5th of February 1983, As an adult, she lived with her mother Pauline and her 35-year-old brother Tony, a window cleaner, in a flat on Pelter Road in Shoreditch, London. Her mother had been seriously unwell. After going to hospital to remove a brain tumour, she had contracted MRSA. MRSA is commonly referred to as a superbug, as it's resistant to various antibiotics. She was also close to her father Anthony and her other brother Danny. Standing at just four foot eleven, her personality packed a huge punch. Her father said she was a great character and never heard anyone say anything negative about her. In 2000, Gemma was cast to star in one of the UK's most popular soap operas, EastEnders. She played the role of Kerry Skinner, great niece of the iconic character Ethel Skinner. She was in EastEnders until 2001 and starred in over 30 episodes. After her acting stint, she would begin working in a few pubs and clubs in Shoreditch. She was described as loud and the life and soul of the party. You always knew she was around, and she was never afraid to voice her opinion and have herself be heard. She was also on good terms with her ex-boyfriend Rafe. Although they had split when they were young, they remained in contact, and had discussed getting back together several times. Gemma was caring and generous, particularly with money, and made time for anyone who needed her. So, who would want to hurt her in such a brutal way, and why? On Wednesday the 29th of February, she attended the opening of the Royal London Hospital in Whitechapel. As the daughter of a friend would be performing as part of the opening, Gemma had offered to film it. The following day, March 1st, 2012, Gemma had seen her friend Erica, who lived in Mile End. A couple of days later, Gemma's friend Carly received a message on Facebook from a mutual friend, asking if she had seen Gemma. Carly explained that she hadn't and asked what the problem was. She was told that Gemma had gone missing and nobody had had contact with her for a couple of days. Gemma had a big friendship group 
and when she failed to reply to any of their calls or messages, concerns were raised even more. Gemma was working in a club on Kingsland Road at the time of her disappearance. Her brother Danny went to the club to speak to staff there, hoping they knew where she was. But, just like everyone else, they too hadn't seen her. She was due to be on shift there, but had failed to turn up. Gemma was a full-time carer to her mother, supporting her through her various health issues, so her sudden disappearance without explanation was even more alarming. Saturday, the 3rd of March, 2012. Tony, Danny and one of Gemma's friends went to the police station to report her as a missing person. As he had been the last known person to see her, Tony's accounts of her movements were vital. Tony gave three different answers and couldn't remember when he'd last seen her. Danny became annoyed with his brother, believing his inability to give a straight answer was due to his long-standing drug abuse. His poor recollection as a result made it very hard for the detectives. Tony and Gemma were known to have a strained relationship. Anthony asked Tony if he and Gemma had had an argument on the 1st of March. Tony said that he had failed to turn off the bathroom taps, causing it to flood, due to the amount of cannabis he had smoked, leaving Gemma incredibly annoyed and frustrated. When Gemma saw Erica on the 1st of March, they had talked about the argument over the flooded bathroom. Whilst there, Gemma had received a call from Tony and there had been another argument, with Gemma telling him how disappointed she was in him. Erica would later say, she was very annoyed, verging on angry. Her mother had left her in charge, and she was sick of him smoking so much. That's why he overflowed the bath. She wanted to chuck him out. I said, well, give him another chance. Anyone can make a sort of accident. Give him one more warning and leave it at that. But she was quite adamant. She seemed to have made her mind up. On the Saturday that she had been reported missing, Erica rang Tony. He told Erica that Gemma had been very annoyed at him flooding the bathroom, and so he'd gone to his room. He said that when he came down at 6pm, her keys were left on the table, but she was gone. When Erica spoke to him later, the stress of the situation was apparent. Tony was upset and crying, saying he had been struggling to eat and sleep properly. Erica invited him round, saying she would cook him dinner to try and take his mind off it, but he declined, saying that if Gemma came home, he wanted to be there. To try and get the word out there about her disappearance, her friend contacted the local newspaper. Elsa Kavist was a reporter working for the East London Advertiser when the call came in. She said her ears pricked up when she heard that Gemma had been an actor on EastEnders. She decided to call Gemma's brothers. She said Danny was clearly emotional, whilst Tony was much calmer, unlike when he had spoken to Erica. On Monday the 5th of March, the search efforts began in full force. Her cousins Nikki and Kiri organised searches to try and find her and missing persons posters were being put up everywhere. The hashtag FindGemma was circulating around social media as the search efforts ramped up to find her. 
Carly also began printing missing persons posters and leading search parties. She said she was in contact with Tony, who said he was sure his sister would be found safe and well. The case would then take a deeply disturbing turn. Whilst at the flat with family and friends as they awaited any news, Tony received a series of sinister phone calls on the 6th of March. The first call told him that if he wanted to see Gemma alive, then £2 million needed to be taken to Benfleet International Station. The second call told him he also needed to bring $500 worth of Iraqi dinar. And then the third call reiterated the demand for £2 million. When Tony asked to speak to his sister, the caller said that she was locked in a room, had been stripped of her clothes, and sexually assaulted. The calls were listened to on speakerphone by everyone there. Gemma's older brother Danny also received the same calls. The number had been withheld, but the police were able to trace it. The calls were traced to a 19-year-old, Sam Dunn in Kent, and on the 8th of March, a search warrant was executed for his home address, and Dunn was arrested. Despite the hopes that this was a strong lead, it was discovered that they were nothing more than a cruel hoax. Dunn had seen the phone numbers on the missing poster. In his interview with police, he said he was with his friends who were talking about calling the numbers on a missing persons appeal that they had seen on Facebook. He said that although he and others had shouted fake demands, he hadn't been the one to call the numbers. But this contradicted what the witnesses had heard on the calls. They had heard only one voice. He denied the charges, but would later change his plea to guilty. At Medway Magistrates Court, he was sentenced to six months in prison for four charges that would run concurrently. This hoax left everyone back at square one. One thing that had stood out to investigators and others was the contrast between Danny and Tony's behaviour. Danny was out looking for his sister, while Tony stayed home, saying he wanted to be there in case she returned. When Tony discovered that a national newspaper had picked up the story, then he came to join the search efforts. What was worrying for those who knew Gemma was that the tensions in the house had been growing as her brother had become increasingly addicted to a powerful cannabis strain called skunk, sometimes smoking between 15 and 20 joints a day. A psychiatrist, Professor Sir Robin Murray, described the effects of skunk in a documentary about Gemma's case, explaining that it can increase paranoia and one can even display symptoms including auditory and visual hallucinations. Gemma and her mother had already made contact with the police regarding Tony's behaviour and he had, on two occasions, attempted to strangle Gemma. The police had been able to piece together a timeline of her last known movements. Gemma had left Erica's at 1.17pm to head home. Her phone record showed two calls between the brother and sister. After the call had initially failed to connect, there was a brief conversation at 147 lasting just eight seconds. At 1.50, CCTV showed her car arriving home. Just 18 minutes later, by 2.08, her phone had been switched off. 
This meant that the police needed to speak to Tony again. What were we thinking? Where was she starting? Well, where was she? You know what I mean? What was the the last time you remember actually seeing her? It was between our two, three o'clock. He showed an inability or an unwillingness to answer all the questions. Then, on the 6th of March, the news came in that nobody had wanted to hear. A woman's torso had been found in a suitcase in the canal. It was later identified as Gemma McCluskey. D.I. John Nicholson, who was part of the investigation, and a family liaison officer, were sent to Anthony's house, telling him that they had found a torso, believed to be Gemma, leaving her family and friends completely broken and devastated. Following the gruesome discovery, D.I. Nicholson contacted a clinical forensic psychologist, Adrian West, to try and shed more light on the case. He said that homicides culminating with a dismemberment of the body are often committed by someone who knows the victim. Dismemberment normally always occurs at the same site that the murder took place in, usually the place that either the perpetrator, victim or both of them live. Anthony said that there would be no funeral until all of her body parts were found. Danny had to break the news to their devastated mother Pauline. She was unable to talk following an operation. He said she just kept mouthing the word, no, in disbelief. Tributes poured in for Gemma, with flowers and cards being left in her memory including one by her heartbroken ex-boyfriend, Rafe. As the investigation continued, on Wednesday the 7th of March, the police made an announcement. An arrest had been made. Tony McCluskey was in custody, on suspicion of murder. Tell me about what you know about the disappearance of Jim. No comment. Surely you want to bring to justice the people responsible. Well, Colin, did you kill Gemma? Well, Colin. His refusal to answer only aroused suspicions further. A search of his phone records showed that the day after she had gone missing, he had sent a text to his girlfriend. He said that he was sorry he hadn't spoken to her the previous night. At 10.31 that morning, he had visited his mother in hospital. He also sent a text to his sister's phone saying, Love ya, kiss kiss. Detectives would later discover that this was the only time he had told her on a text message that he loved her, but it wasn't genuine. It was part of his cover-up plot, texting her and pretending that she was still alive. It is believed that Gemma was murdered shortly after arriving home at 1.50pm. At 4.51, the day after she had gone missing, he sent another text to Gemma, along with the one saying he loved her, that read, Gem, ring me when you get this message. What are you having for dinner? Are you working tonight? Kiss, kiss. Then, the police had a major breakthrough, the one that they had been looking for. They discovered that Tony had contacted a taxi company using the name Tom. 
The CCTV showed Tony dragging a heavy suitcase into the taxi. When the driver asked him what was in there, Tony said it was a sound system. He then asked to go to Dunstan Road, near Regent's Canal. The driver remembered how Tony had struggled to get the suitcase out of the car. A student was out on her balcony by Acton Lock. She saw a man dragging a bag down by the water. Tests of the taxi revealed traces of Gemma McCluskey's blood. On Saturday the 10th of March, Tony McCluskey was charged with murder. He was remanded in custody and appeared at the Old Bailey Courthouse from Brixton Prison via a video link. There was no application for bail made. The disturbing evidence would continue to mount. A search was conducted of the flat that Gemma and Tony had shared and blood drops were found in the bathroom. A knife was also found with bloodstains on it. But what was unusual was given the fact she had been dismembered, was there was no significant blood at the property or in the drains or plug holes. However, a small part of human matter coming from inside of Gemma's body was found on the cabinet in the bathroom. Police theorised that some sort of material or plastic had been put under her body before the dismemberment, and then Tony had extensively cleaned up around her, accounting for the lack of blood at the crime scene. He was seen on CCTV on the Friday morning, the day after her murder, purchasing bin bags, cigarettes and a newspaper. Gemma's legs were found by police divers over the following two weeks in plastic bags. A Scotland Yard spokesman said, The Marine Support Unit recovered the legs from the canal on the Broadway Market stretch, where Miss McCluskey's body was found. We are waiting further tests to determine the identity of the limbs, but we believe it belongs to Gemma McCluskey. The arms were also found. Police were called at 9.35 on Monday to reports of an arm being found in the Regent's Canal in Hackney. We await further tests to determine the identity, but at this stage, it is believed to be connected to the murder of Gemma McCluskey. Although they had been weighted down, the gas emitted during the decomposition process had caused them to rise to the surface of the water. After Tony's arrest, D.I. Nicholson visited his father Anthony and showed him the CCTV footage. Anthony was adamant it was Tony in the footage. Following this... Tony told Anthony his version of what had happened that day. Tony said that Gemma had arrived home and was combative and argumentative and demanding he leave the flat after the argument over the flooded bathroom. He said he had gone up the stairs and when he had turned around, Gemma was standing there with a knife in her hand. After that, he said, he had no recollection. 
On Sunday the 9th of September, Gemma's head was eventually found in the water by someone cleaning the canal. She was identified using dental records. The lacerations on the skull indicated that a blunt object had been used to hit her over the head at least twice, and she had likely died from a bleed on the brain. Experts believe that over the course of the two or three hours after the murder, a knife and meat cleaver had been used to dismember her body into six pieces. In November, Gemma's funeral was held. Many people came to pay their respects and celebrate her all-too-short life. The funeral gave her devastated loved ones the chance to come together and grieve as they tried to come to terms with what had happened. Whilst being held at Highdown Prison in Surrey, Tony sent a letter to his father. It read in part, I'm finding it very hard to believe myself that I could do such a terrible thing to you and our family. It breaks my heart knowing I could hurt you in such a way, Dad. Dad, you know me well enough to know that I'm not an evil person. And that wasn't me that done such a terrible thing. It chokes me up knowing I did. I wish I could tell you more, and I sit here day and night thinking non-stop but I just can't remember what happened that day. I've always been the quiet one, the one that wouldn't hurt a fly, the one that would do anything for our family. I just hope you can forgive me. Monday, January 14th, 2013. The trial of Tony McCluskey began at the Old Bailey Courthouse in London. He denied murder but admitted to manslaughter. He said that during an argument he had lost control and couldn't remember the series of events that had followed. When the horrific details about what had happened to Gemma were laid bare and how her body was treated by her own brother, her father had to leave the courtroom, unable to listen to any more. Tony McCluskey had initially used a knife to remove the limbs, but changed to a meat cleaver and dismembered her over the course of two to three hours. With each limb that was severed, he was becoming faster at doing it. When talking about the argument that they had had, Tony told the court, She came up the stairs and was shouting, Are you going to go? Are you going to go? Are you going to go? I turned around and she was standing there with a knife in her hand. I got very angry. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. All I remember is just grabbing her wrists. After that, I have no recollection. An expert witness was brought in who refuted his claims of amnesia. Gemma's ex-boyfriend Rafe was there for the trial and Tony McCluskey saw him in the courtroom and smiled at him. Rafe said, He recognised me and that smile to me was him saying, Rafe, I know you know I did it. There was no remorse in those bulging eyes. They were just cold. He lied because he knew exactly what he'd done that night and he planned to get away with it. Tony McCluskey's barrister suggested that Gemma had taken cocaine that day, something her friend Erica had denied, saying she didn't even smoke a cigarette, let alone drugs, never in her life. Mr Crispin Eilert, the prosecution lawyer, said the defendant must have killed Gemma, no doubt in the course of a quarrel. He then dismembered her body before disposing of the body parts, including the head in the canal. 
For some time there had been tension between Miss McCluskey and her brother. To Gemma, this was largely as a result of the defendant's habitual use of cannabis and its most toxic form, skunk. When talking about the flooded bathroom, Mr Eilert said, It is clear that Gemma regarded this incident as the last straw, and she wanted the defendant to move out. The court heard how over the course of her life, Gemma had been mentally and physically abused by her brother. A witness would say, he would beat her and mentally torture her, calling her all kinds of awful things. She would wear sunglasses because of the black eyes, and I saw bruises up her arms where he attacked her. The hoax calls were also brought up in court, with Mr Eilert saying, the truth is that the defendant could not have believed his luck. The calls can only have added to the state of confusion as to Gemma's whereabouts. After all the evidence had been presented, it was now time for the jury to deliberate, and on Wednesday the 30th of January, they had reached their verdict. Tony McCluskey was found guilty of murder by an 11-1 to majority. He was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 20 years. As the verdict was read out, McCluskey showed no reaction, while crying could be heard from the public gallery. Mr Justice Fulford said, I unhesitatingly reject your account that she had used bad language towards you or that she had belittled you in the past. She was a warm-hearted woman who was loved by a great many people. Mr Justice Fulford also said that Tony had attempted to cover up his tracks in a cold-blooded way, saying, your hope must have been that she would never be found. We are expecting to hear from Anthony McCluskey very shortly. He has been in court throughout. As far as uh, I know, he's been there every, uh, every day of the trial, and we can only imagine what's been going through his mind, but I think we can hear from the him now. The investigation into Gemma's death was challenging for all, no more so than for Gemma's family and her many friends. And no one can imagine quite how horrific it must have been to have been told that Gemma had been murdered and that her body had been dismembered, only later to be told that her brother was suspected of being the person who was responsible. Tony McCluskey tried everything to avoid having the finger of suspicion pointed at him, blatantly lying to police and his family, providing false leads, delaying others from providing crucial information, even sending text messages to his sister's phone where she lay dead in the family home. And the jury saw fit to completely dismiss his pathetic attempts and claims that he had amnesia during the period in which he had struggled with her killed her, dismembered her, and ultimately disposed of her body. First of all, I'd like to say that my other son, Danny, could not make it here today because he's taken over the flu. This has been an extremely traumatic year for myself, my wife, Carol, my son, Danny, and his partner, Chantel, Gemma's extended family and all their many friends. We would sincerely like to, lead, to thank lead detective John Nicholson Dave Suddick and the Metropolitan Police and British Waterway Units involved in a search for Gemma. Our thanks to Martin Wurzwick, our family liaison officer, and Miss Carly Sneed of the Victim Support Homicide Team for their support in every step of the way. Through such a difficult time, Gemma was a daughter, a sister, 
an auntie, a cousin and a niece, and is very much loved and greatly missed. I would also like to thank the media for allowing us privacy through this very trying time. And I'd just like to say, good night, God bless Jenna. We all miss you and love you. Thank you. Tony McCluskey was sent to Belmarsh Prison, but was later moved to Nottingham's Lodham Grange Prison after a bounty was allegedly put on his head. His prison move was confirmed by the Ministry of Justice, who said, People could be moved for all kinds of reasons, such as being closer to their family, or for security. In an episode of Crimes That Shook Britain, Anthony explained that he had disowned his son. He said, I said right at the start I would stand by him, I really did mean it, because I was going to lose two children, not one. My sister said, why are you saying that? How can you stand by him? I said, he's my flesh and blood. I've got to stand by him. He also referred to the letters that his son had sent to him in prison. He said, every letter was the same. He's not showing no remorse, not an ounce of remorse. He doesn't mention her name. I'm trying to support and look after him, but he's not showing no remorse. And that was it. In the end I went, I've had enough, Tony. The devastation caused by the murder of Gemma McCluskey is impossible to comprehend. Her ex-boyfriend Rafe said, I know that Gemma would want me to think about those great memories, and I always will. She will always be the love of my life. More tragedy would strike the family in 2013. Gemma's mother Pauline, whom Gemma had cared for through her various devastating health issues, passed away. There are only two people who know exactly what happened in the flat on Pelter Road that day. One can't talk, and the other refuses. Anthony's wife Carol said... I've watched my husband slowly become a broken man. There has always been laughter in our house, but now it is very rare. Gemma McCluskey was a feisty and caring young woman. She gave so much of herself to others and was always there for anyone in need. It is only right that she be remembered for the joy and light that she brought to so many people and not by the brutal and devastating way that her life was taken.' 